Welcome, welcome, welcome into a sad day here at Killing Missing Hidden. This is the last special classic KMH that we're playing for 2022. It's the end of the year. We can't fit any more in. Besides, you've gotten six. You should be happy with that. This one I've selected because it's near and dear to my heart. It takes place in my hometown or just outside. I live just outside of, of this area. Birmingham, Alabama, we're going to talk about the infamous Sloss Furnaces. If you're not from the South, you may not be familiar with it, but this is kind of Alabama's leading haunted paranormal spot. People have traveled here to investigate it. It's been on some shows and things like that. But we're going to go through the history of it. We're going to go through reports of it, sightings, stories, legends, all that stuff. And I honestly don't recall because we recorded this one so long ago. This one is this one when we recorded it, I did so from memory. And I may not, I can't remember if I mentioned that in the episode or not. This is just stories that I heard growing up about this place. I did check dates and, you know, names and things like that to get that right. But by and large, there are no show notes. This is just Brad telling a story about, about his hometown in a way. So I think it's a good one to end on. It's one of my favorites, obviously, because I'm biased as heck. But I hope y'all enjoy. And we will see y'all in 2023. Dylan, the podcast about bad things. Why are we talking about Sloss Furnace? Well, it is... It may be one of the few haunted spots in America that could be objectively considered haunted. And I say objectively because there are actual police reports in the Birmingham Police Department's record rooms that you can go and find and pull where citizens and police officers have reported seeing things going on at this furnace that couldn't be explained. It's typically apparitions, seeing people walking around that disappear, those sorts of things. But before we get into that, I kind of want to give y'all a brief history lesson on Sloss because I think that context will help you understand why this may be kind of a paranormalish area. So, you know, we had this thing in America called the Civil War, right? It was the northern states versus the southern states, the Yanks versus the rebels, and North won and devastated the South pretty badly. Both, you know, on the battlefield, you had things like Sherman's March, where General Sherman just tore through the South and destroyed everything he could. Then you had a lot of federal legislation that came down and was designed to just punish the South for doing what it had done. And so times were bad. In the South, you know, the Civil War ended in what, 1865? And it took a while before things could get back to normal or close to normal. Now, one of the discoveries that was made around 1880 is that there's an area known as Red Mountain. And Red Mountain just so happened to have everything you would need to make iron within a 30 mile radius. 
everything, limestone and coal and just the whole nine yards. I don't know how to make iron. That's all. I know those two ingredients go in there, but I don't know much beyond that. So the city of Birmingham was founded in an effort to try to build some industry up in the state. And a whole mess of these furnaces were established. And it turns out that really not only did Birmingham have the ingredients necessary to create iron, we had some pretty good ingredients. One of the big business leaders in this effort was a fellow by the name of Colonel Sloss. And it was he's kind of credited with getting the railroad to come down through into Birmingham to make a stop there so that all this iron and pig iron that's being produced can be sent off to places like Pittsburgh and other steel cities in America to help with the production of, of those very important metals. And he was successful in doing that. And starting in the late 1880s, Birmingham went from being a little a little slice of nothing to just doubling and tripling population every time you turned around. It was actually known nationally as the magic city because of how quickly the population grew. And it was all due to the iron and pig iron production. Now, pig iron, I, I don't, again, I don't know much about the process, but my understanding is pig iron is kind of the intermediate product from turning iron into steel. And so while Birmingham didn't produce actual steel, it produced this pig iron that could be used in other factories to finish making steel. And when I, I mentioned a moment ago about how that was, it was quality pig iron, they actually held some sort of contest in Louisville in the late 1800s, where apparently all the pig iron in the world was judged. I guess kind of like whoever has the prettiest cow or the biggest hog. And out of all the pig iron that was submitted from all over the world, Birmingham's was considered the third best. Not only that, but it was cheap to be made in Birmingham because, as you may or may not know, we've had a bit of a colorful history when it comes to race relations down here in the South, which meant that we weren't, real fair in how payments were made, not just to the black citizens, but also to the poor white citizens. So you'd have the management was, of course, all white, all upper class. The middle tiers were all white, but they would have black helpers. And that was about as far as a black employee could rise in the ranks at Sauce Furnace. But it was a heck of a lot better than the common labor, okay? it was, The common labor force consisted primarily of black folks and prisoners. Because you see, in Alabama at the time, convicts could be conscripted out to perform work for local businesses. And they'd just have to give a little kickback to the sheriff. So Sloss was able to take his, you know, labor force and send prisoners into the mine and send black folks into the mine to dig out all the coal. He would have them doing the bulk of the work around the furnaces. And it didn't bother anybody. Because of the labor pool he was pulling from, 
he didn't pay as well as the factories up north did. One could easily argue, in fact, that workers weren't paid at all, at least the the ones at the bottom of the rung. See, if if you were coming to Sloss to work as a laborer, you were probably in dire straits. And so you'd end up living in this shanty town that they had set up, and then you would be paid through scripts, which was basically fake money. But it could be used to purchase things at the stores that were set up on Sloss Furnace property. So I kind of think of them, I guess, as convenience stores. And that's where you would go to buy your bread or your peanut butter or your eggs or your milk. And you'd use those scripts as as pretend money. And then not only does Sloss get to pay you in this fake money, he gets to set the prices at the store, which is the only place you can use this fake money. And so because of all this, the labor costs were just <laughs> dramatically lower than anything they had up north. And I think I remember reading something along the lines that what Pittsburgh could produce for, say, $18, Birmingham could produce for $10. So you're talking about a savings of almost 50%, which, of course, would make the profits for all the upper-level white management that much more. Not only did this whole pay thing just suck if you were a laborer, the conditions were almost inhuman. You have these two huge, I think they were like 400-ton blast furnaces at the center of this operation. And these blast furnaces just put out tremendous amounts of heat. Not only that, since they're at the center, they're kind of ensconced in all the structures, supporting structures built around it that are, you know, used in the process of producing the iron. So you've got brick walls everywhere. You've got steel beams and walls running everywhere. You've got pipes just running like crazy. And so you had almost this maze that workers had to go through. Sometimes, literally, some parts, they had to crawl on their bellies to get from point A to point B. And all of this is being trapped by these walls. All, all of this is being done in the heat that's being trapped by these walls. So on a cool night in the furnaces, it would be above 120 degrees. And the, they, of course, didn't work, you know, two-hour shifts or four-hour shifts. They didn't really have this concept of water breaks or whatnot. It was you worked from sunup to sundown or you worked from sundown to sunup. And you would work at least six days a week. And it just was this living hell. I mean, it gets hot down here in the summer. It gets... And the heat is not a normal heat. It's that humid heat. So you're just sticky and miserable the whole time. Now imagine having just the regular southern heat compounded with artificially created blast furnace heat. And you'd have to work around that for 10 or 12 hours at a time. It was horrible. 
And of course, there's no such thing as OSHA back in these days. <laughs> and so you would literally have little walkways going over these blast furnaces where you have molten iron being boiled and churned. And there's no guardrails. There's no, no safety lines. You just hoped you didn't trip. And because of how this was set up, it was not uncommon to have literally hundreds of deaths per year at Sloss Furnace. And the management just had such little respect for the common laborers that they had no problems just churning through them. I mean, it was almost like sending soldiers off to war. You knew a certain percentage of them were going to die, and that was just that was just the name of the game. But this was all done in pursuit of profit. Shockingly, right? We've evolved so much more as a society. At least we don't have working conditions this horrible. We, we have improved a little, thank goodness. But these were the conditions that folks worked under, and these were the conditions that folks died under. And, you know, if you were a wife or a child and your husband worked for the company and then died, do you know what you got? You got told to get out of that house. You got evicted. You got kicked off the land. So not only do you lose your husband, your primary breadwinner, you got no place to live and you've got no savings because you've been paid in this fake money. It's just a deplorable, deplorable situation. And that's why I think it is such a paranormal hotspot and probably the biggest one in Alabama. Now, I want to tell you this tale about a particularly cruel foreman. And I don't remember all the dates, so bear with me on that. But there was a foreman who managed the graveyard shift. That was the sunset to sunrise shift. By the name of Wormwood, I believe. He was known as Slag. That was his nickname. And, you know, because of the way this industry operated, the management said, look, we are running these furnaces 24-7, obviously. Because that was the best way for them to make as much money as possible. And so Slag was put in charge of the night shift during his time there. And he decided that his goal was to get promoted to some sort of middle management. He didn't want to just be a foreman. He wanted to work in an office. And he thought the best way to make that jump was to produce as much pig iron as possible to try to catch the attention of the bean counters, you know? So he worked his men like dogs. And he was universally hated by everybody that set foot on the midnight shift. He had no qualms about sending men to their deaths if it meant that he didn't have to stop production. He literally, if a piece of machine broke, and the common way to fix it would be to pause everything, get some maintenance men in there, fix it, and then start up production. He would say, no, y'all fix it while it's running. And of course, that led to people losing their arms. That would lead to people, you know, having their being paralyzed. 
uh, losing their eyesight, all sorts of just horrible, horrible disabilities. And he was heartless about it. He would walk around kicking workers, whipping workers if he thought they weren't going fast enough. There was no such thing as a break. I mean, I mentioned that earlier, but with this man in charge, you better be busting it 24-7 under his supervision or he was going to have you and have you fired. Well, legend tells that for some reason, Slag got up on one of those crosswalks that I mentioned earlier that overlooked one of the furnaces. Now, some say that he did it because he kept hearing voices of workers who he thought were goofing off, and those voices led him up to that crosswalk. Some say he was lured up there by the workers because they were tired of him and they were going to end him. But whatever happened, he got to this crosswalk, got to the dead center of the crosswalk, and then somehow fell into the molten lavaed iron that was being produced, and of course instantly died. He was not the first to die this way, and he probably was not the last. But he's the one we remember because of what happened afterwards. So, of course, production was stopped, management was called, all, all that. But no one was shedding a tear about this. I mean, they were excited to see that he was dead. And after a few weeks, they had kind of settled in under a new foreman who he was demanding, but he wasn't slag demanding, you know? But all of a sudden, there were reports of slag showing up. You'd hear his voice calling out from around the corner. You had employees claim that if they were in a break room, say, they would hear his voice chastising him and threatening their job. Some folks even claimed to have seen him. And they described him as this melted, half-man, half-skeleton thing. But they knew it was slag from the look in his eyes and that horrible voice he had. This went on essentially as long as Sloss Furnaces was open. These stories continued. These are some of the stories that are documented in... Birmingham PD police reports. Now, towards the end of the 1960s, I think it may have been officially 1970, is when the plant started slowing down and then finally closed. And at that point, it was donated to the city of Birmingham. And then, surprisingly, it was made a uh, national historic uh, landmark. I believe it's the only factory like this that's ever received that designation. But during those final days in the late 60s, they weren't operating 24-7 anymore. They were kind of barely operating at all. But they would employ, um, I think it was the Drummond Company owned it at that time. And they employed, you know, night watchmen to keep an eye on things. And there's one particularly notorious story of a night watchman was out doing his rounds when he heard a voice. And, you know, he's 
a younger fella. He doesn't know anything about anything when it comes to the history of this place. He's just there to get a paycheck to support his family. He goes and he pokes around and he just keeps hearing this noise and it sounds like an angry old man. Well, he finally gets, he starts going up some stairs, which would lead ultimately to where that crosswalk over the furnace where Slag died was. And he kind of went up the stairs slowly, shining his flashlight and all that. And he just, the voice just kind of kept getting louder and louder. And it was chastising him. He realized that the voice was talking to him. It was chastising him for moving so slow. You know, telling him, you got to hurry, you got to hustle. What are we paying you for? That sort of thing. And so he doesn't respond to the prodding. He continues going up at a snail's pace, being smart about it, because who knows what's up there, of course. It could be some cokehead or whatever with a knife. So he turns a corner and starts to go up the stairs when he hears the voice coming from behind him. And when he turned around, what he reported was there was a ghost, for lack of a better term, that was mostly skeleton. It had burning, it was burned flesh. He could smell the burned flesh all around him. In fact, he kind of radiated this aura of fire. And he just would, the, the apparition was just enraged at the security guard such that it attacked him. It came towards him, it put its hands on him and threw him down on the stairs, and then it disappeared. But from that attack, this security guard suffered third degree burns over the upper half of his body and on his face. There's some reports that claim he lost vision in one or both of his eyes, too. That's always been. Whoever tells a story tells it different ways. And so I don't know how true that is. And of course, honestly, I don't know if any of this is true. But that's kind of the most famous attack. And apparently there are Birmingham police records of that event. And the poor fella ended up dying not long afterwards from his injuries. All because of slag. That's not the only thing you experience, but that's the highlight of the stories that come out of Sloss Furnace. Lots of people have gone there and recorded, you know, orbs, which to me don't mean a thing. Um, they've recorded apparitions, lots of EVP activity. They can oftentimes, you know, communicate with these spirits in some way or fashion. And it's almost always workers who died there under very terrible circumstances. And a lot of people, too, will report that even if they go there on a cold night, when they get to certain spots, you know, typically when you hear about hauntings, you, you've got the cold spots. Well, when you get to a supposedly haunted area of Sloss Furnace, you feel the heat that 120 degrees that those folks were exposed to all the time is what overwhelms people. Such that people have reported, you know, nearly passing out from such a drastic change in temperature that would hit them so hard and so fast. 
And if you're interested, Sloss Furnace, because it's a national landmark, it's open as a museum. And they do tours where they take you through and they show you, you know, how they, they start off with the uh, the lake that's on property because I think they use something like four or five million gallons of water a day to produce iron. So they had this lake that they would use for that. And so you start there and then you get, you know, taken through all the different little stops along the way that you would go through when producing iron. You get to see one of the furnaces. Uh, the second furnace apparently isn't open to the public. It's actually used by some artists um, and it's designated just for them. But you get to see at least one of the furnaces. You can see the crosswalk, even the one where slag supposedly fell from. And so I've never been on the, the tour, but I've, I've heard that it's pretty neat. Now, they also do nighttime tours that are much more of, you know, your paranormal focus. And the guides there tell the story about slag and other events that have happened. And they'll lead you around. They'll let, you know, you get to take pictures and bring whatever equipment you want and all that. So it's pretty neat. So if you're ever ever traveling through the area and um, want to do something kind of interesting that may be up your speed. Uh, during Halloween, you know, during October, the Halloween month, they actually turn it into a haunted house. So not only do you have the paranormal activity, you've got a haunted house built on top of it. I don't know how I feel about that. I think it's a little... I understand why they do it. I mean, it's a creepy locale. It's got the history behind it and everything, but that's also a spot where so many men died. I don't know that I'm a big fan of turning it into an entertainment venue, at least in that manner. You know, they they have had concerts and stuff out there too. I mean, this is a huge, huge facility in Birmingham. And so they've had rock groups in particular that come out there and want to perform there. And I'm fine with that, but, you know, pretending to be some sort of dead apparition while you could be standing on the spot that a man burned to death or bled to death, it just strikes me as a little wrong. So that is our very rough cut of what Sloss Furnace is, why it's so famous, and why it may be worth visiting. Now, I say all this too, and I, I don't think I mentioned, this isn't just kind of a local thing that we drum up for publicity. Um, you know, Zach Baggins or Bagans or that little weird dude, not a fan of his. Um, he's brought his team down to Sloss Furnaces for an episode of one of the thousands of shows he's done um do you remember that show on fox scariest places on earth they came down for a visit to sloss furnace the uh the taps folks i forget that ghost hunters i think was the name of their show um that was on sci-fi channel they came down and they actually loved it they i, re I just remember I may have watched the episode or, or read something about it afterwards. And they were like, this place is phenomenal. We're, we're going to come back here. And then I guess whatever industry drama happened, happened. But I mean, th those are just the first thing that popped to mind. There's been lots of shows that have come through. 
there's been lots of newspapers that have come through and a lot of them, I think even like USA Today came through and their photographer caught some interesting pictures. And so this is, you know, it's not just neighborhood rumors. It's something that seems to have some meat on it. You know, again, I start off by saying it's maybe one of the few objectively haunted places in America. And those, you know, media reports added on, I think, just help support that contention. So, again, something a little wonky you can do if you ever visit Birmingham for whatever reason. But I just wanted to tell it because Alabama doesn't really have a rich heritage of cryptids or alien encounters or anything spooky like that. But we do have sloths. And so I just want to give it a little bit of love. You know, I went, we're Alabama. We get pooped on a lot. Unfairly at times, I would say. Very fairly at other times. But um, give it a little love. It's It's not a bad state. It's really not. It gets a little overblown. But, you know, if you're ever driving down to the Gulf Coast or happen to be having to go, you know, from Nashville to Atlanta or from Atlanta to New Orleans or something like that, stop on by, check it out and see what you think of Sloss Furnace. And if any of y'all ever do go there or have been there and have experienced something, absolutely would love to hear from y'all. I think it'd be really cool. And if I can talk my wife into it, which honestly is a big if, I'd I'd love to go there with some of my buddies and shoot some footage for y'all. That's all I'm going to share. Like I said, this episode is probably a little rough, but I kind of felt like that was the most authentic way to tell the story because that's how I always heard the legends growing up. You survived another episode of Killing Missing Hidden, the podcast about bad things. Join us next time for another true and thrilling story.